or Bible apps, Acts 17. We are continuing this summer series that we're just calling an investigation, where we are asking the standard who, what, when, where, why, how questions of the church and things of the church. So far, we have established that whoever believes in Jesus and what he did on the cross for our sins and whoever rejects the natural inclination towards the things of Satan, whoever believes, belongs. Kind of said it with the kids down here. The truth is, the church is the people. The first blank on your outline. The church is is the people. It's not a, not a building. The places we meet in are just buildings, but the church is the people. Acts 17.24 says this, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Ephesians 2, 19-21, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom, verse 22, you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so what that means is, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, when we turn our hearts toward Jesus and accept what he did on the cross to save us from our sins, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and therefore we become temples of the Holy Spirit. We become the church. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then 1 Peter 2, 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what that means is what used to take place in the Old Testament, in the temple, in the tabernacle, worshiping the one true God, pursuing holiness, making sacrifices, now takes place within us. When we trust Jesus. The next blank on your outline. Church has come to be known as a group of people that gather. And we're going to stop it right there. We'll come back to that in a minute. A group of people that gather. Now, sometimes when we ask uh, the question, what is something? Sometimes it's it's good to find out what it isn't. So, uh, what is not the church? Well, first of all, the church is not... A physical building. The church is not a physical building. That's where we meet. But if the church closed its doors, would the church cease to exist? It would not. Because God's not confined to a building. Because he lives in our hearts. As we go outside the walls of this building, we take his presence with us. So the church is not a building... And the church is not a country club. The church is not a country club. Now, uh, some of you may be a lot ritzier than I am, but I have never been a member of a country club. Um, 
I understand that uh, some of them, man, they'll, I mean, you, they'll park your car for you. They'll have a snack ready for you when you get there. Um, whatever you want, you got it at the country club. And the whole mindset is, well, you pay, your, you pay your dues, and then it's catered all to you. And so that's why the church is not a country club, because uh, I got news for all of us. The church is not about you. The church is not about me. The church is about Jesus. And sometimes it's really easy to forget that. Sometimes we come to church and we think, well... I pay my dues. This place should cater to me. The carpet should be the color that I want it to be. I mean, churches have split over arguing over the color of the carpet. The music should be the style that I want it to be. We will take care of our wants. We'll ignore the needs of our community. A country club church becomes internally focused. We spend all of our resources on ourselves instead of investing in the kingdom of God. There's no invitation for the lost outside the walls of the building. And the latest research tells us that churches who become a country club do not last. They may have huge auditoriums that seat 700, but on a good Sunday they have 70. Because people have just gotten tired of the act. If you've been around long enough here... You've heard me ask this question before. It's a question that, that changed my entire outlook on church ministry and, 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 church, and leading a church. If First Baptist closed its doors, would anybody even notice? If First Baptist closed its doors, would anybody in the community notice? And there were times where we would say, you know what? Um, they might notice that the grass isn't, hasn't been mowed, but beyond that, maybe not. And so that's when a shift had to take place, that we're not going to be a country club church, but that we would be a light in our community by reaching out and living on mission, because the internally focused church is the dying church. And so this series, it brings us to living on mission, living on mission. The church is not a building. It's not a country club. The church is the people. It's it's a group of people that gather. And we know that there are a lot of groups of people that gather. So what's different about the church? Well, the translated church in English is the Greek word ekklesia. Say that with me. Ekklesia. It's a combination of, of two words meaning called out ones. And so the church is a group of called out people that gather, but what makes us different is that we don't just gather around an idea, we gather around the person of Jesus Christ, the risen Jesus Christ. We don't gather around an idea, not even a religious idea, we gather around the person, the risen Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's the church. The next blank on your outline. The church is the number one plan. God's number one plan to take the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. 
The church is God's number one plan to take the gospel of Jesus to a lost and dying world. And let me just tell you, there really is no plan B. Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. If we compare that with, with Acts 1.8, he told them to go to basically their, their town, their state, their country, and their world. And so these instructions were given to what would be the church. So what he didn't do was uh, tell his disciples to go, go and make disciples and, and ascend and then come over here a little bit, 10 miles down the road, and come down to the animals and say, okay, if these guys blow it, it's going to be up to you. He didn't do that. There is no plan B. The church is the plan to take the gospel of Jesus to a lost and dying world. Let's look what else the church is. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. It says this, Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, just so we're clear, I believe the rock that he's referring to here is Jesus. It's not Peter. But the rock that the church is built upon is Jesus Christ. It's, it's the truth that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, you notice that word Hades there. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's another name for hell. So, the gates of hell will not prevail against who? Uh, turn to your neighbor, make sure they're awake. <laughs> the gates of hell will not prevail against who? The church. It's the church. So the church is pretty important. We're, we're a part of God's number one plan to bring the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. The next blank on your outline, we will not be defeated by anyone or anything coming through or going to the gates of hell. We will not be defeated. And don't we know that attacks come, but we can rest assured that God is going to protect His church and this church is going to do what He called it to do. One more thing when we look at the end of Revelation. It's the account of how time as we know it comes to an end. Jesus comes and defeats Satan and his demons. The church is there. The church will last forever. Uh, Revelation, it's the next blank on your outline. The church will last forever. Revelation was written to several churches that were facing immense persecution as Christianity began. And so God describes this multitude in multiple places, specifically in chapter 19. There in heaven, in the end, the great multitude is the church. It's one of the only things on this earth that will last for eternity. I believe the Word of God and the souls of people are the other two. 
but also the church. So, what is the church? It's not just a building. It's not a country club. It's the people. It's God's number one plan to take the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying world. We won't be defeated by anyone or anything coming through the gates of hell. And the church will last forever. So, when we build the church, we're building something that will last forever. And church, we really can't say that about anything else. When we build the church, we're building something that will last forever. And we really can't say that about anything else. And because of all this truth, we should get excited about the church. Turn over to Acts 1 again. Acts 1. This is the account of how it started and how it, how it grew. The author is Luke. He's the same one that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so this is kind of a sequel to his Gospel. Verse 1 says this, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, And he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself uh, alive after his suffering by many infallible being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So notice that word apostles there in verse 2. The church started with the apostles. You can write that down. Now, do you know the difference between an apostle and a disciple? A lot of times uh, they're, they're used interchangeably, but the apostles are those who had face-to-face contact with Jesus Christ. Disciples are ones who follow him by faith. So we are disciples, but not apostles. Let's continue. It started with the apostles. Let's continue in verse 4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This was the birth of the church. This group of people that gathers, not around even a religious idea, but around the risen Jesus Christ. This is when the church received her mission. Verse 8, notice it says that the church is called to be witnesses. The church, as the church, we are called to be witnesses. I think it's a blank on your outline. And what does a witness do? A witness gives testimony of what they've seen or heard. And so we are to give witness of what we've seen Jesus do in our own lives, in our town, in our state, in our country, in in our world. So think about that. Can a building do that? Does a building gather? Can a building give witness of what it's seen? Can a building go to the world and tell people anything? It can't. That's why the church isn't a building. It's the people. So we do all of this 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. The next blank on your outline. The church is called to be witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we try to do it on our own power, we will fail miserably. We will, it, will, it will be all about us. It will be all about me. That's why we have to, have to rest in the Holy Spirit's power. Now hopefully you can see the church is much more than just a place we come an hour or two a week just to hang out with our friends. It's a place to come and grow deeper in our faith and encourage each other to do the same and to become equipped to go out and live on mission throughout the week wherever we go. Let's continue in Acts 1. As the story goes, Jesus ascended to heaven as his disciples looked on. And his disciples went back to Jerusalem and they met together. We're told in verse 15 that there were about 120 of them now. So what started with 12 is now 120. And people were added to the, through the witness of the apostles. Verse 14 says, these all continued. The church continued. church continued. As we keep reading in chapter 2, we discover it was Pentecost. That's a time when people from all over would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the harvest. And they would speak all different languages and different dialects. But when the Holy Spirit came, they were able to hear the gospel in their own languages. In verse 14, it says that Peter, the same Peter that cowered at the trial of Jesus, he boldly got up and preached the first sermon. He preached the good news of Jesus and he said, listen, you guys crucified him, but it was all according to God's plan to offer salvation to you and to the world. Let's pick it up in verse 41 of chapter 2. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What started with the apostles grew to 120, and now it's at 3,000, increasing daily. And so this early church, it gathered around the person of Jesus Christ, just like we do. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching there in, in verse 42. It means they devoted themselves to what the people who had been with Jesus were saying. For us, it's the New Testament. It's, it's the Word of God. So I ask you this question. What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? How much time did you spend in the Word of God just this last week? How much time did you spend in things other than, than that that really don't, really don't matter? See, our, our answers to these questions, it, tell, it tells us what we're devoted to. Word of God, His church, His mission, and that's where our hearts need to be. The gospel where our hearts need to be. 
We get distracted sometimes, don't we? So what is the church? It's a group of people that gather, not around a religious idea, but about, around the, the risen person, Jesus Christ. We're God's number one plan to take the gospel of, of Jesus to a lost and dying world. We're one of the only things that will last forever. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It started right here in Jerusalem in Acts 1 and 2. It started with the apostles. They were commissioned by Jesus to go. That grew to 120. That grew to 3,000. And the Lord continued to add to their number daily. And eventually it spread to you and me. We'll finish with this, verse, verse 38 in Acts 2. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let us not miss the importance of repentance. Let us not miss the importance of repentance. Many of us are probably familiar with that word. Repentance means you're going in one direction and you take a complete 180 and you go in the opposite direction. So you're heading towards a life of sin, you turn from that sin, and you turn to Jesus. It matters what you turn to. You've got to turn to Jesus in order to overcome. And don't I know, daily repentance is important. It's not just a one and done. I've got to do it every day. Also, the importance of baptism. Don't, forget, don't miss it. The importance of baptism. Baptism is an outside symbol of what's going on on the inside. It's an outside picture of what's going on on the inside. And so when we stand in those baptistry waters, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's also a picture of the the old us dying and the new us coming to life in Christ. It's not magic water. You don't have to be baptized to get to heaven But it's really the first step of obedience that God calls us to after we accept what Jesus has done. I always compare it to a a wedding ring. Many of us wear wedding rings, and people know if our spouse is there or not, we're connected to them. Well, baptism connects us to Jesus. And I just would figure in in a room this size, there are some people here, you would say, yeah, I know Jesus, never took that first step of obedience. And if the Lord's calling you to do that, I would love to talk to you and get those questions answered. When we see it in the New Testament, it's always after a profession of faith. It's not as a baby. So that's what we practice here. If you've never been baptized, you should. Because it will encourage your church family like like almost nothing else can. Let's go into a time of invitation. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? We'd like to answer two questions at this point. What has God said to you through his word? And what are you going to do about it?